Welcome to Financial Frameworks. Financial Frameworks' goal is to help you increase your financial decision-making skills by building on what you already know. Today's podcast is part of a series about holding on to your invested money when considering companies that present themselves as ESG firms, environmental, social, and governance-related firms. Today, I'm looking specifically at four different ways to look at ESG and how, in practical and real-life terms, companies measure ESG results. In addition to your investments, balancing safety and growth, you want to know whether the ESG impacts warrant your trust and your money. We're looking at ESG because of the interest in the market, the growth in the market, and the validity of the approach. It's taken a long time to begin to be able to measure things that were for a long time considered unmeasurable, but now for environmental reasons and other reasons, it's part of the investing paradigm. It's a new element, and since it's still being built, winners and losers, that is the companies in this area, will start emerging. And wouldn't it be nice if you and I had the skill set, the frameworks, and the knowledge in place to identify those winners ahead of time. As I said, ESG has been in existence for a while, but it appears that institutions, standards, organizations, and others are catching up with the reality of ESG and are focusing more carefully on what it actually means to be such. So in our previous podcast, we looked at shorthand ways to evaluate ESG investing choices. These shorthand ways are valid, but they don't have the clarity of a detailed investigation. And for those of you who are really interested in the old Graham and Buffett term of margin of safety, uh, a more detailed investigation is something that's probably up your alley. Additionally, a more detailed look takes time and not everybody has that. So there are many paths, there's many ways to do these things, but I want to give you the option of looking at things in a more thorough fashion. In the last podcast, we highlighted some of the disagreements about what an ESG investment is among the professional experts and provided a context for those disagreements and those conflicts. And we selected a starting point for measuring results. And that starting point is the four examples that we'll be looking at today. So we'll look at four sets of data today that are diverse in their approach. We'll go from the most global the United Nations Principles of Responsible Investing to a very specific set, key performance indicators that some companies use. After you've reviewed them, you can ask yourself questions as we go along, and please do because you should be thinking about this stuff in an active way. How can I use it? How can I not use it? What works? What doesn't work? And you should have a sense of which approach and what kind of data is most useful to you, how they fit in your framework, and what steps you want to take to measure ESG at the end of this podcast. It doesn't have to be crystal clear, but you should be chewing on it and thinking on it because very often these things get themselves solved in the middle of the night and the next morning there they are. So this podcast will introduce you to these four and describe these four approaches. And then in the next podcast, we'll road test each method and we'll keep peeling the ESG investment onion in order to make assessing an investment as quantifiable as possible. 
So here we are, the four sets of data and criteria that we'll look at today. Number one, the UN principles for responsible investing. These principles are broad, and so we'll pick a specific area to look at all the way through the four categories, but in the breadth of the United Nations criteria, we'll look at greenhouse gases. They present metrics in their initiative climat report entitled Greenhouse Gas Accounting and Reporting. We'll look at how those work. Number two, we'll look at BlackRock. It provides investors with a what they call a BlackRock Investment Stewardship Primer. We're looking at BlackRock for a number of reasons. First, it has $10 trillion under management. Obviously, their investments must be broad, and their efforts cannot be theoretical or voluntary like the UN because they have a fiduciary responsibility to do what they say they'll do. So they have taken positions regarding ESG. We'll look at the metrics they offer, and that will include their voting at shareholder meetings metric. Number three, the Stern School Rockefeller Asset Management Report, which I mentioned earlier, is largely an academic report uh, because it examines uh, 1,000 plus other academic reports, but they specifically mentioned three metrics, ROE, return on equity, ROA, return on assets, and the use of the Sharpe ratio. So because of the breadth of the work and because of who did some of the work, the CFA Institute, and because they are specific, we're going to look at them. Finally, we'll review a set of key performance indicators, KPIs, they're common in ESG investing nomenclature. A number of consulting firms and companies use these KPIs to evaluate ESG corporate behavior. And then in the next podcast, we'll look to see how they're applied. We will also compare them with a model that I'm familiar with, the Harvard University Lifecycle Costing Tool, which is also very thorough. And we'll see what the pluses and the minuses are. So before diving into the analysis, I'll add one more piece of information about why this analysis and this podcast should be useful to you. I'm quoting from a survey of asset managers that was in a piece put out by Morgan Stanley in December of 2022. Morgan Stanley states, only 39% of asset managers report ESG impact alongside financial performance, despite a survey showing 88% of asset owners saying that they seek this information. That's a pretty significant discrepancy. Or my first thought was, who says the customer is always right? But I do think in the near future, more customers will be right, and we should be prepared to examine the analyses that these outfits put out. Okay, the analysis. Let's start with the most global set of metrics the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investing cites six basic principles that are quite broad. For example, Principle 1 states, we will incorporate ESG issues into investment analysis and decision-making processes. While that is straightforward and sensible, what does it actually mean in operational terms? So to answer that question, I sifted through uh, their primary documents, then went to a research report they cited greenhouse gas accounting and reporting for the private equity sector. It was produced by the Initiative Climat International in May of 2022, so it's pretty recent. 
And I found on page 71 of the reporting and metrics section of that document, a strong recommendation that ICI's methodology be aligned and supported the greenhouse gas protocol that was jointly created in 1998 by the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and the World Resources Initiative. So they took me to another place and those metrics were pretty concrete. And it indicated that 90% of the Fortune 500 entities in the United States were adhering to the greenhouse gas protocol. I looked at the methodology in that report, found that it was thorough, that it covered a wide variety of energy related situations, and that the PRI numbers adhering to the GHG protocol were relevant and substantial. So, but we still have the question, how easily accessible this data is when making a decision. So we'll find that out in the next podcast when we do our road testing. And I should note here that all the resources that I'm citing in this podcast will be posted on my website, finframeworks.com. Okay, that covers the United Nations. Moving on to the BlackRock analyses. It's really interesting because BR, I'll call them BR for now on, while it is an advisor, is primarily in a fiduciary role. That is, they have a responsibility to the client or the security owner to manage that client's assets in the best interest of the client. So practically, that means that BR needs to know what the client wants, what their concerns are, and then act in a manner so that the entity, the stock that they're holding, let's say it's AT&T or Citigroup or Alaska Air Group, to just mention a few, that those companies are aware of client preferences and concerns for those assets that are under BlackRock's management. They can't just sit there passively. The second piece of the puzzle that I find very interesting and why we're looking at BlackRock is they have $10 trillion in assets under management. The scope of $10 trillion in investment management in one place uh, to me is just staggering. So that's another reason why we want to look at them because they have to solve a lot of problems. BlackRock provides investors with two summary tools, one entitled the BlackRock Investment Stewardship Primer, and the second is an annual investment policy summary. They're very clear that their goal and task is to engage corporate boards of directors and influence policies through that engagement, through what they call market-level dialogue, and more directly through votes at shareholders' meetings. While that may seem nebulous, let's stick with climate matters, primarily greenhouse gases, as we did for the UN, and look at a BlackRock document entitled Climate Focus Universe. BR states what their objectives are, what the BR focus is, and then lists companies with whom they have been engaging with. They also outline their market-specific voting guidelines and refer to a quarterly report entitled BR Stewardship by the Numbers. This report documents activity, matters supported, matters in which BR voted against the board's recommended actions. So in some ways, it's sort of a negative scorecard. In order for me to determine how useful this is to me and to you, I will need to do additional research, which will show up in our road testing in the next podcast, and will demonstrate whether this approach 
really does direct activities or whether it is a long-term set of actions that is very hard to measure right now. Another reason I'm willing to do this, because this is another layer which you may or may not be interested in, but another reason I'm willing to do this is because of the amount of resources that BR devotes to this analysis. What they do is nothing I or you, in most cases, could easily repeat. So if they're in contact with a company that you and I are interested in investing in, I would be remiss in ruling out BR's opinions without checking for potential results. So more on this in the next podcast. Our third set of insights come from the report from the New York Stern Business School Center for Sustainable Business that was written with the Rockefeller Asset Management Group. It was entitled ESG and Financial Performance, Uncovering the Relationship by Aggregating Evidence from a thousand plus studies published between 2015 and 2020. While the report is aimed at an academic audience, it's useful to us for three reasons. The researchers in this report read over a thousand other studies. That's not something you and I are going to do. And these studies, it appears, I looked at two of them, had their own methodologies and had their own concerns for being accurate and useful. So that's a lot of studies from a lot of different angles. So my first question is, is this just a lump of gruel or is this a methodologically sound assessment? They cited their methodology as being based on work done by Pedro Matos in a report entitled ESG and Responsible Institutional Investing Around the World, a critical review from the CFA Research Foundation. The CFA Research Foundation is a pretty solid operation, so I pay attention to that. That is a stamp of approval that means something to me. And again, it's work I don't have to do. It tells me there's a methodology. The third reason is that in their summary, they provide three data points that they were willing to hang their hats on as incorporating ESG issues in financial terms. So this is another step closer to concrete measurement beyond the principles articulated by um, the UNPRIs. So we should take a look and see if they're right. We know that they think they are, but we need to prove this for ourselves. The report cited return on assets, ROA, return on equity, ROE, or suitable sharp ratios as useful indicators. This means to me that the report believed that the company results that showed up in their studies represented by those three measurements covered both financial results and ESG intentions. So again, similar to BlackRock and PRI, we will road test that in the next podcast. And I hope that you can see the narrowing path that I'm taking here. I'm starting as broadly as possible and gradually narrowing the scope of the microscope, all puns intended, that we're applying. The basic reason for this approach is that some investors like a broader universe that gives them the sense of knowledge and margin of safety that they want to see. Others want very concrete, very specific, very descriptive indicators. The final metric for this podcast discussion is something called key performance indicators. I will take my definitions and examples from All View Systems from their website. 
It's a consulting firm that assists investment entities in a variety of ways, including developing ESG standards. I've picked all of you for our discussion for a couple of reasons. First, their approach is comprehensive and it's concrete. Second, their business model seems pretty open and they are willing to share elements of their products and services with very limited barriers to access. For example, you can easily access the material that I'm citing on their website. It's written in English and there are spreadsheets that you can look at to examine and determine how they might be helpful in your thinking. Key performance indicators are just what they say they are. That's refreshing. The KPIs are trackable numbers meant to help firms understand the environmental, social, and governance impact of their operations. All views starting points for these KPIs, for example, are the spreadsheets I mentioned, separate KPIs for 23 industry groups, one for each major industry segment, automotive, real estate, telecommunications, durable goods, etc. I picked software and services for my examination and look specifically at greenhouse gases as we've done with the other three. Within each industry segment, AllView has categories for environmental, social, and governance. Again, sticking with environmental, I examined the spreadsheet for software and services, and I found 14 elements for environmental metrics dealing with greenhouse gases, energy consumption, and efficiency. All elements required benchmarks and usage. Very clear, very direct, and a very ground-up approach. So if you like concrete information, using these criteria when examining investment is a reasonable approach. We simply have to see if it's workable, how much time it takes, and I'll look for companies that are using these KPIs in our next podcast. So those are the four approaches to ESG criteria and measuring ESG implementation that I've chosen for your consideration. The next step in the process is to see how they work in practical terms, how easy, how hard, and how fruitful is each approach in evaluating an individual investment. That's what we'll go through in the next podcast. In the meantime, there's always an assignment. You should be doing some of the work because it's in your best interest to do so. I recommend that you think about a company or investment that you are considering. Think about these four ways of approaching ESG, these four methods, and then pick three things that you really care about, three ESG things that you would care enough about to do some research, that you would be willing to spend some time measuring. Write down what your thoughts are because the process is just as important as the results. I call it learning. Because it is worthwhile to revisit things, and let's say in six months or a year from now, you want to look back and say, okay, that's what I was thinking. This is how I've gotten smarter. As I mentioned before, I will post all of the resources cited on this podcast on my website, https finframeworks.com. As always, I hope that this has been helpful to you, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Mike Lehan, Financial Frameworks. Thank you.